From WXXI News, this is Connections. I'm Evan Dawson. Our connection this hour was made in 2010 when a local family opened a new business. Upstate Interiors is a construction company whose work you've likely seen around town, perhaps without even knowing it. From projects at the Rochester City School District to the University of Rochester Medical Center to the airport, the Frederick Douglass Greater Rochester International Airport, uh, the McClary family, which runs Upstate Interiors, is now in its second generation of master carpenters and finishers. In addition to the construction jobs, the family is proud of its dedication to introducing the construction trades to Rochester and Monroe County residents. Despite its success, the team at Upstate Interiors understands the barriers faced by minority and women-owned businesses. And true to its mission, its leaders shared their wisdom and experience at a summit earlier this year dedicated to addressing those hurdles, hurdles like mentorship and financing, just getting contracts, getting business. According to the National Minority Supplier Development Council, here are some numbers. They write that Minorities represent 34% of the population of this country, and that number, of course, is growing. Minority businesses represent 21% of total businesses, but only 3% of total corporate purchases. So when you think about the companies from which you or your workplace or your school or your organization, you think about who you're making purchases through or who you're contracting with. How many of those vendors are minority or women-owned? How could diversifying those vendors impact the local economy? How can we eliminate the barriers these businesses face to enable their success? Our guests this hour all attended the local summit, and they've got a lot to share about what they do and how they see these issues, and I'd like to welcome them now. First of all, from Upstate Interiors, Nikofi McClary is vice president. Welcome to the program. Great to have you, Nikofi. Great to be here. Thank you for having us. Welcome to Ely Vandenberg, Director of Supplier Diversity at the University of Rochester. Ely, thank you for being with us. Thank you, Evan. Uh, great to be here. Great to have Matthew Burrell, Utilization Manager of the Minority and Women-Owned Business Enterprises Program at Monroe County. Matthew, welcome. Thank you, Evan. Glad to be here. And Appreciate Mario Roque is here. Mario is Director of Diversity, Equity, and Inclusion for Facilities and Services at the University of Rochester. Mario, welcome to you. Thank you, Evan. And on the line with us, Stephanie Armstrong is founder and managing partner at All Pro Marketing. Hi, Stephanie. Hi, Evan. Thanks so much for having us today. So um, a lot to talk about here. The event that we were just mentioning was held back in January at the Memorial Art Gallery. It was the Upstate New York 2023 Minority and Women-Owned Business Enterprise Summit. And um, right out of the gate here, I, I want to talk to Nikofi about what it is that Upstate Interiors does, but also why this matters. I mean, uh, we were kind of talking before the program. I mentioned to the group in studio that said, I already got an email from a listener that kind of said, well, how come you're having this show? Why are you having this conversation? And Nikofi, if I, if I hope you don't mind you saying, Nikofi said, send this question over to me. <laughs> so the question from a listener, if I can find it myself, uh, it, it essentially said, um, if I end up, uh, Alan writes and says, if I say that I want to emphasize hiring white-owned businesses or businesses owned by men, I'd be in big trouble. Why are we emphasizing anything about who owns the business? Shouldn't it be about who does the best work? That's from Alan. The floor is yours, Nikofi. Well, I appreciate uh, his comment and his statement. First of all, I think uh, I know with us, Upstate, when you think of that word minority, you, many people may just think about black and brown uh, we don't think of minority as black and brown only. We uh, look at it a little differently. <clears throat> and the way we look at it is just people that need opportunities that just haven't had a fair shake at life. I mean, you can be green, you can be orange, it doesn't matter. Uh, we do a great job with just giving opportunities to all people, especially in the, <clears throat> in the county and the city. Uh, we specialize in making sure that they have these opportunities on these prevailing rate jobs. So when you think about the word minority, um, please don't take offense to just thinking that we're just saying black and brown. We want to give them opportunities. We have a lot of employees that work for us that are not black and brown. They just needed a, uh, an opportunity to better their lives. So um, please look at it like that. But with that said, we also need to provide access to minorities. Um, many of the products that go on here are secured by larger contractors, and they don't have a, a, a large minority force that work for them. They have very, very, very few minorities. So when we uh, have these products going on, it is very important to allow them access, minorities access to these projects. And being a union-owned uh, company, we provide that access. Um, we secure projects, and we make sure 
that they have an opportunity to make a wage that will take care of them and their families and that can change the financial trajectory of their lives. Nikofi, Allen's question reminds me of a conversation I saw recently led by um, the culture writer Jamel Hill, who used to be at ESPN, and now she writes for The Atlantic, among other publications. And she was responding to um, some of the discourse about uh, the, the upcoming Oscars. And so there are a number of nominated folks or just actors, actresses, directors, who um, actors of color who say, I'm, I'm supporting anybody black. You know, you hear that. And, and Jamel Hill said, look, I hear people ask me all the time, why is that okay? You can't say I'm supporting anybody white. She said, do you know what it's like to have had nobody advocating for you forever in this country? Do you know what it's like to have been disadvantaged and basically not considered for work, for jobs, for opportunity, simply because of who you are inherently? So this is a reaction to an uneven playing field from the start that persists. That's how Jamel Hill saw it. Do you see it the same way here? I, I do. Um, we all have implicit and explicit uh, biases about ourselves. Um, it's just a natural thing. And uh, especially in construction, I mean, the culture, there's very few minorities in construction uh, that are allowed uh, to work on these prevailing rate jobs. A lot of it is because of the barriers that uh, they have to remove themselves or they have to have companies like us help them remove uh, financial barriers, uh, entrance fees to get into the union, uh, proper hand-tos, transportation. Those are barriers that um, we've done a great job with helping them remove. But at the same time, um, we have to always be cognizant of the fact that it's harder for a minority to get a job. I'm college educated. I've been to uh, graduate school. I have my administration degree. Um, in every uh, room that I've walked in, in these uh, higher learning uh, facilities, I've always felt like uh, people, all eyes were on me. I had to perform the best of my ability. Um, and it's, 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 and many times it's, it's, it's not fair to, to go into those environments and have to deal with that pressure. So when you're talking about minorities, we have to have opportunities to help level the playing field. Um, and that's sad to say, but Dr. Martin Luther King, he's done a great job with making sure that people of all races and creeds have these opportunities. And that's, that's what we're all about. We're providing these opportunities for minorities. Coming up here, we're going to ask um, Nikofi and Stephanie a little bit more about the work that their companies do and what their experience has been like. Uh, but let me ask our other guests as well to kind of um, maybe elaborate on some of what we heard from Nikofi. And Mario Roque, I saw you nodding along to a lot of that there. How do you see this, uh, this issue now, and do you see progress being made? I, I think progress in lots of ways is a relative term uh, to where we are now. Yes, we've made progress, but where we should be is probably not fair to say that we are all the way where we need to be. Um, I mean, just thinking about the work that Ely and I do on a day-to-day -day basis and working within internally um, with the university, there's lots of um, things that people take for granted uh, and take it as a day-to-day -day activity. And they don't have this presence of mind to think about what, how their decisions are impacting the communities around them in some respects. And so um, when uh, Nakofi was talking about the, the barriers to coming in, um, I'm thinking about conversations that we've had where someone's uh, spoken about a business from 1899 still working with the university. And just think about the barriers that people had at that time. Who was being able to work at that time and own companies? Who had the financial investment in 1899 to be successful? And if we're still using that same company, then we haven't changed much of anything. It's just promulgating the same things. And so um, in lots of ways, it's uh, it's a never-ending battle. But uh, to be honest, with every panelist that's here, it's, it's great to have teammates and it's great to have support. And I think that's one of the main things that we gathered from the summit was that this isn't just a... Uh, just something that one entity can do on its own. This has to be a social responsibility. This has to be on everybody's mind when they're making purchases, when they're putting together business plans and things like that, because that's the way we start moving the needle. Yeah, Mario, when you talk about having a contract or a relationship with a company that goes back many decades and maybe starting to explore what were the conditions like when those relationships were built and what's our responsibility now, 
I think of Alan's part of Alan's email said, shouldn't it be about who does the best work? That sort of implies, and I, I, Alan, I don't want to speak for you. You can follow up if you want. But that implies that he, he might doubt that there are minority and women-owned businesses that can perform at an equal or higher level than those who currently have a lot of the work already. Um, but I think it's also, let me try to, in a good faith way, ask you, um, this is about equity, of course, but it's also about quality work, too, right? I mean, it's not one or the other. Right, of definitely. Course. And a lot of the time, that's one of the main questions. And people doubting the MWBEs, and like Nakofi said, they have to be at their best every single time. Mm -hmm. um, one one of the things I always tell people is if McDonald's messes you up your order, you're not going to stop going to McDonald's. You might go to a different one, but you're still going to go to McDonald's. And that's, the, that's not the same grace that we have with our MWBEs. Most of the time, what you'll see is an MWBE has to represent all MWBEs. And if their work at some point you find some fault with it, then all MWBEs are like that. And I think that's the the bias and the stereotyping that we need to get past and to look forward in a way that, well, let's see how we can move this MWBE forward, but not put it on everybody else as well. Eli Vandenberg, Director of Supplier Diversity at the University of Rochester and Mario's colleague there. Tell us about some of the work that you do, Eli. So um, Mario, who is one of one of my uh, probably the best partner in the uh, at University of Rochester here. So I really appreciate I have a partner like this. What I do is I work with um, Mario to build a stronger supply diversity program for University of Rochester. What Mario was just talking about is some of the barriers, some of what we are going to do is to create opportunities for um, the MWBs and that not only locally or nationally to um, help them to grow their business and uh, so and so this is kind of in a nutshell that what I do here okay and how do you see the sort of the current state of that work and is it challenging are you seeing progress I've seen um, absolutely uh, progress and uh, so we are here actually to continue now. Mario's point is is right on is collaboration because social responsibility is never a one entity can do it all. So we have to work together. Example like work with county, work with city, work with other minority organization to understand and to work towards a common goal. Right? And so I see tremendous progress has been made um, the time that I joined UR, and uh, we've done, uh, we deliver quite a lot of good work. And January 24th event is one of the uh, examples, and where we want to create opportunities for MWBs to gain knowledge, to understand how they can access the capital, how they can uh, network with the local corporations. And uh, hopefully that will help them to open uh, the uh, help them to uh, open more doors, more business opportunity through that kind of event, as well as continue on with the event and momentum that we created. Matthew Burrell, as uh, the utilization manager of the Minority and Women-Owned Business Enterprises Program at Monroe County, tell us about what your work entails. Well, uh, in uh, 2001, the legislature passed what's called Gantz Law. Uh, and Gantz Law settled the uh, utilization uh, in uh, certification for minority-owned firms. What it did was it created a formal program and codified a program to not only have utilization on our county contracts for minority women firms, but also we created our own certification program. So when our firms that are on our list are going to contractors, they've gone through a vetting process. You know, it's much, it's similar to the New York State program, um, but what we were able to do is take it, condense it down, and make that certification time uh, much slower, or excuse me, much faster, uh, where we can get people certified in about 30 days. Um, so that's been probably been the, the, my job for the past two years, is really building that program. We went online uh, in January of 2022. Uh, we have, as of today, 250 certified firms that have gone through the process across multiple different disciplines and services and products that they offer. Um, and what that's allowing is when we, we've put utilization goals 
on nearly every county service contract, which was a departure from what we would do before. Typically before it was really based around construction. But now we've taken it one step further. All professional and non-professional services will have those utilization goals. If we don't provide our prime contractors and our bidders with a list of qualified firms, uh, they're going to ask for waivers. They're, they're not going to embrace the program. So we have to do everything we can to build that capacity, you know, both in numbers and within each individual business so they can compete on these larger contracts and go from there. Uh, and to Mario's point, I hear it all the time. Sometimes when I talk to large businesses and I talk about the MWBE program, their first response is, oh, I, I use this company and they did a horrible job. That's that one company. That's not everyone in the MWB community. But again, every day MWBs have to be on point. I tell MWBs you have one chance to do it wrong and every chance to do it right. Because if you do it wrong, not only may you not get more work, but other MWBE firms may not get that same opportunity. The one thing I love about the county program is, is we're kind of forcing their hand. You know, we have goals of 12% minority and 3% women. We are very, very hesitant to approve waivers. So unless you've done all your due diligence and you can show me track record of what you've done for advertising, we're not going to approve your waiver and we're probably going to go to another bidder in that bidding process because it's so important to us. The legislator made it a law. It's no longer a program. It's a law. Do people ask you if your work discriminates against white people? You know, I have never heard that before. Because I've got another email, but I'm not sure. going to read it in that's full. Okay. But, but that's... You know, and, and I will tell you that I in our program, we never have our prime contractors sacrifice the quality of the work that needs to be done for the county and the taxpayers for, you know, just to make those goals. You know, we make sure that those companies they're using, if they're on our certification list, they can do the work, you know, and we will work with them in their relationship with building with MWBEs during the term of the contract to do that. So it's not simply just making a number. You know, it has to be the quality that the taxpayers are demanding because it is taxpayers' money. Um, and bad MWBEs would be a detriment to the program. Uh, so I want to move off that point, but let me just say, John's on the phone. I, John, I'm, the reason I'm not going to take your call, John, is only because if you missed it, we started the program, we read Alan's email, John on the phone wanted to ask the same kind of question. Shouldn't it just be about the best work? What, what has to, I think, from, my out, you know, from the perspective of someone who's helping facilitate, doesn't do the work that our guests are doing. But my observation is what has to happen is we cannot allow this notion of minority and women-owned businesses to be viewed as like, well, you know, it's companies that maybe aren't as good, but it's good to hire them anyway. You know, you'll feel better about yourself. That is baloney. Um, Matthew Perell is not saying, yes, Monroe County is going to tolerate substandard work as long as it's – that's not what we're talking about. So um, I don't mean to sort of get fired up, but I'm just, just seeing some of the early feedback. I, is, fair enough? Is that fair? It is, and I know when we started this formal program, we received not necessarily that kind of feedback, but the pushback from, well, do I really have to make it? Are, are these really important? Because uh, before it was more of a hand-waving gesture. Um, but to know that we're serious about this. You and, know? and there we, probably is a point in the future, Matthew, where if, if this success builds and builds – then maybe we don't eventually. That's my goal. People ask me what my goals with the program is, is for this program not to need to exist. Now, I will tell you this, New York State's had their program since the late 80s, as with Erie County, as with, and people think this is a new program. It is for Monroe County, but we're actually the last municipality, major municipality in New York State to have a formalized program. You know, so we're almost a little late to the game, so oh, we're doing a little bit of catch up. We've had goals in the past, but never the emphasis behind that. So this isn't something that's brand new. Um, New York State's been around since, again, like 1989, uh, and they're still, you know, making strides. So my goal is for the Monroe County program to no longer need me and be out of a job. Uh, you want to add to that? Yeah, go ahead, Nikofi. Yeah. yeah, the pushback um, with your caller is if the larger white companies get 95 to 100 percent of the work all the time, why wouldn't you want to have programs that give access to minority businesses? Um, and as I said, minority is just not black and brown. It's all colors. It's people who do not have access to be able to um, land these prevailing rate jobs. So if 95% of the people get the projects all the time, they move from one job to the next year after year, and minorities don't have access to these problems, um, these programs and these projects, 
why wouldn't uh, a feared person uh, have a program that allows them access? That's the pushback that I would say to that caller. Um, before I bring in Stephanie Armstrong, I'm going to read a statement from WXXI here and our, our colleagues, uh, Mona Isler, Tashonda Thomas, send along this note that they want to make sure it's part of the conversation. And I'll read it in full. Quote, WXXI, the little and city want to be leaders in the community on issues of racial equity. One of the ways we want to do that is to be mindful about who we do business with and be very intentional about diversifying our supply chain. We recognize the value in using local minority women and black-owned businesses. Supporting minority businesses keeps us connected to the Rochester community and directly impacts our local economy. Some of the things we are doing include assessing our current supply chain, determining who is already an MWBE or diverse company, and creating opportunities to use new diverse companies or service providers. It is important to attend events like the URMC, MWBE Forum, and the upcoming City of Rochester's MWBE Conference because it allows us to be introduced to diverse suppliers and providers. We have met dozens of small and diverse business owners who are potential future partners. We will be meeting with each department to help every understanding uh, so that people understand know uh, what roles they play in the efforts by being mindful of asking, is there a diverse vendor that I can use for this job, but also introducing us to diverse companies that they know. Um, that's WXXI's statement from Mona Isler and Tashonda Thomas. Um, thank you to my colleagues for sending that over, and that's a, a look at our own disposition on that. Stephanie Armstrong's on the line with us, the founder and managing partner at All Pro Marketing. Stephanie, tell me about what it is that you do. Yeah, so I own and operate a marketing firm based here in Rochester, New York, uh, but serving companies across the country. Um, and we do take a special interest in supporting minority and women-owned businesses for a multitude of reasons that, that kind of go back and speak to uh, some of the comments that you're receiving from listeners. Uh, women and minority-owned businesses have not had the same access, not only to opportunities um, to grow their business from a contractual perspective, but also opportunities in terms of financing, right, in terms of education, um, in terms of just ways to grow their businesses that historically white males have dominated. Um, so my firm takes a special interest in supporting minority and women-owned businesses to help close that gap um, and get them on a level playing field with the majority-owned companies. Are you finding any resistance? How's your work going? <laughs> you know, there there will always be resistance when you're talking about making a significant change, right? Um, since the beginning of the history of this uh, country, we have been dominated by the white male. And I have no hard feelings. And it's, it's not to say that there's anything wrong with white males. There's not. Um, it's just taking a look at the landscape, right? Women um, have not been given the same opportunities. In fact, you know, my, my mother was born in an era where she wasn't allowed to have a bank account, right? So we're talking about making major shifts. Now, women taking large corporate contracts, the minority-owned businesses getting large corporate contracts, that, you know, 50, 60 years ago, these things were unheard of. So it's very easy today, you know, to sit here and, and um, wonder why maybe there's uh, more opportunities that are being given or programs that have been developed to give minority and women-owned businesses opportunities. But if you really look back over the history in many of our own lifetimes or our parents' lifetimes, these types of opportunities were not just restricted, but in many cases were just not allowed in any capacity. So there is resistance, and I welcome the resistance because any time that you're making great change, that resistance is going to come. What I do encourage folks to do is if they're feeling resistance to this, if they're feeling resistance to minorities and women being given access to opportunities that they have not historically been given access to, it is critically important for them to educate themselves on these issues because the statistics are there. The research is done. Um, it's, it's all available with a click of a button on uh, Google. You can find all of this information, and you can see the disparities for yourself. Stephanie, it's interesting. I'm listening when, when, when I was listening to Matthew Burrell say that part of the work, part of the long-term goal is to do the work effectively so that perhaps in the future this kind of work is not um, needed with the same kind of intention that we see now. What is what are the conditions that create that situation? What does that look like in the future to you, Stephanie? 
Yeah, to me, the goal is parity. And there was an incredible study that was done by the NMSCC, I believe, out of the state of Michigan, um, that showed that if we continue to do business the way we've done business, um, which is, as, as Nikofi spoke of earlier, giving 95 to 100 percent of opportunities to white male-owned businesses, it will take 330 years for economic parity for women and minorities. That's a number that is astonishing and terrifying because women and minorities at, at this point, at this juncture, right, we have gotten to the point where we are the majority. When you think of you add those numbers together, right, we're the majority. Um, so we have to get to a place of economic parity in order for our economy to continue to thrive. Um, so my goal is to get to a place of parity. That's where we would not continue to need these types of um, in the same study, what they showed is if corporations allocated just 1% of their spend to women and minority-owned businesses, we would reach economic parity in 15 years. So to me, that has to be the goal. And when we think about that number, 1%, that's a very small number that I don't think is going to make such a significant impact to white male-owned businesses that there would be any type of, of negative consequences. I think 1% um, is a number that's absolutely doable for most businesses, and it would really help to just create the economic health that we need to see in our minority and women-owned community. So that's Stephanie Armstrong, founder and managing partner at All Pro Marketing, talking about um, her work. And as we mentioned, Nikofi McClary, vice president of Upstate Interiors, told a little bit of your company's story. Tell me more about um, some of what that work looks like today and some of the relationships you've built in this community over time, Nikofi. I appreciate the opportunity. Uh, we specialize in uh, metal stud framing, uh, drywall, and acoustical ceiling. So most of the uh, commercial buildings that are being built uh, in today, society, uh, they're built metal stud framing. Um, so that's what we specialize in. Um, I want to continue that thought, but I yeah. don't want to forget uh, some notes that I, I wrote down here. Sure. Your, call, your caller mentioned, um, you know, being professional, um, the, the contract should go to professional businesses. I do agree that minority businesses need to be professional and they need to be masters of their craft. Um, so I, I, I do agree with that. And we take pride at Upstate Interiors. We try to return calls within 24 hours. We try to do our best to be professionals. We train our employees every Saturday at the Union uh, Hall from 7 a.m. to 12 a.m. to try to get them to be masters of their craft. So um, there's a lot that goes into being a professional minority business. We have to do the work. We have to have systems in place, and we have to be professionals. So when we do get these opportunities, we take full advantage of them. So um, I definitely wanted to say that. Another thing that I wanted to say about um, Upstate Interiors, we, we pride ourselves in hiring city and county residents. Um, we, we invest in them. There's so many barriers that people don't know about that people go through on a day-to-day -day basis. They don't have the money to join the union. You, you say, okay, you got 2,000 carpenters. Why, why is there only a few minority qualified carpenters in the union? It's because of the barriers that they have to go through and that, that, that need to be removed and eliminated. And that's what we started to do over the last few years. We started investing to remove the barriers. We provide the social emotional classes with um, weekly check-ins with our empl employees. We provide the transportation, the hand tos, the union fees. We're doing the work. And uh, lastly, I wanna say is, it's very important for people to not just look at what the situation is. You always have to ask yourself the question, why is the situation the way it is? I, I like that movie, Hidden Figures, um, to, to Haji Hinton and Kevin Costner uh, starred in that movie. And it was a scene, powerful scene where he got very upset because she was never around. They were trying to build a, a space sh a shuttle to go to the, the moon, and she was never around. She was always at the uh, missing when he needed her the most. And she came in, and he started yelling and screaming. It was a big scene. Everybody in the office is looking at her and he's just yelling and screaming at her and when he got finished she just said to him simply the reason why i'm not here is because i have to walk three or four miles to go to the restroom because there's no restroom for a colored person in this building and that changed his whole perspective 
instead of him just focusing on what the situation is, he was able to see the why, and he responded totally different by going and tearing down all of those signs that said um, uh, whites only in the restroom. So I think that is very important for everybody. Just no matter what the situation has come about, don't judge just what the situation is. Always ask yourself why. Why is why are there very few minorities businesses around that are professional and have access to these pro, um, projects? There's always a why, and we're trying to work on the why. After we take this only break of the hour, we're going to come back with our guests. I've got some more feedback from listeners on this. We're talking about the state of minority and women-owned businesses um, in our community. There was an event back in January that focused on this. The city of Rochester has an event coming up. Um, Monroe County, as we're learning, is engaged with its own efforts uh, in this way. University of Rochester, a lot of organizations, WXXI, as I read the statement, um, is one of them, is much more focused on what this means. And the reason is when you look at the disparity in the population of business ownership and then the population of who gets the work for contracting services of various kind, business contracts, et cetera. Um, it, it shrinks and shrinks and shrinks, and it's just not representative. It's not even close right now. So um, we will continue on the other side of this break with, from the University of Rochester, Ely Vandenberg, Mario Roque, uh, Kenofi McClary is with us from Upstate Interiors, and Stephanie Armstrong from All Pro Marketing, and Matthew Burrell from Monroe County. And we'll take this only break and come right back on Connections. I'm Evan Dawson. Friday on The Next Connections, we talk to Assemblymember Demond Meeks, among others, who are working with the problem, providing resources to gun violence survivors in our community that is a growing community. In our second hour, a conversation about Russian Troll Farm, a new show at Jiva Theater Center that we had a chance to see this week. Might make you rethink your social media usage. Talk to you Friday. You have a lot of choices when it comes to the news, but you turn to WXXI for trusted voices like Beth Adams, Alex Crichton, and Evan Dawson. These voices and the news they bring you are here thanks to listener support. Your contribution ensures that accurate information, intelligent perspectives, and meaningful conversations will continue. Please make a gift at WXXINews.org. This is Connections. I'm Evan Dawson. On the phone in Rochester, this is Rich. Hi, Rich. Go ahead. Hello, Evan. How are you doing? Good, sir. This, this issue of uh, the minority contractors getting these bids goes really deep. First thing, it's hard for them to make money and to, and to build their businesses because no matter how good they are, the community doesn't value them. They're not willing to pay them the same rate that they're paying your, your white contractors. So, therefore, they don't, they don't end up having the capital resources to build their businesses. Um, of course, then they don't get the contracts. They don't. They don't have the connections because you have these. You have the communities that these that the contractors and the your tradesmen. Some of your communities are three and four and five generations deep, and when they go that deep, this does not include blacks. I, I've looked at this problem, and this problem is so deep. There's so many disadvantages just in the community alone for black tradespeople that, of course, it's going to extend right out to these contracts. It's, it's all part of this entire thing. This is a world that they just, they're kept out of. And I talk to some tradespeople where they can't get the money just to do their work. The independent contractors, people don't want to pay them. They don't think they're, they're they don't think their labor is worth the money that they see as in a white, white person. And that's really bad. Rich, I appreciate that. Nikofi, can, can you maybe uh, maybe add to some of what Rich is saying and also let us know that um, about your thoughts about training and mentoring people who are thinking about coming into this line of work? Yeah, and it's uh, unfortunate that um, you feel this way, and, and it seems like you're very passionate about this. Um, I will say that it starts with ourselves, and it takes a lot of work. When you're building a business— I work a full-time job, um, and we want run the business. Sometimes you have to do things just so you can do the things that you love to do. Um, you're not going to have that, the access to capital. You have to build your credit. So I'm saying all of these things. Sometimes 
we just like to jump out there. Minorities just like to jump out there and start a business. Um, we've learned over the past there's certain things that you have to do by yourself that no one else can do for you um, to make sure that you have a successful business. And it is hard, hard work. It's long hours. Um, you have to be able to do the work. Get yourself in a fine. Get we we have to get ourselves in a financial situation to when we do build our business and we do get projects and hard things, uh, things happen on jobs. We can sustain ourselves and continue to move on. Uh, I want to speak to the workforce development yeah. aspect yeah. of it. This is so important for us to be able to expose city and county residents while they're in middle school and high school to the trades. Everybody is not going to want to go to college and take on that debt and they, they're gonna want they're gonna need something to fall back on. So it's important for us to give them that exposure. And how do we do that? We have to have the principals, we have to have the city of Rochester, the county all on board to make sure that we go into these city and county schools and expose our young men and women to the trades. And um, Upstate and Tears, we're passionate about this. We want to make sure that we're on the front lines of this because it's also important. It's one thing to go into the schools. It's another thing to capture their attention. You have to have people that look like them, that can relate to them, to give them that desire to want to get into the trades. And I think that we can do a better job. We target, we work with the Urban League of Rochester, ITAC, Hope Works, uh, Rochester Work. We, these organizations do a fantastic job on a day-to-day -day basis, but we try to recruit from them. And then when we get names of candidates, we try to do our best to get them in the union and provide the wraparound services to make them successful. This work just started. It's been decades of nothing being done. So it's going to take some time and it's going to take all hands on deck for us to make a, a, a change. Stephanie Armstrong, do you want to add to that? Mike? Yeah, you know. Oh, there, yeah, there um, you go, Stephanie. Go ahead. Yes. Um, when I'm thinking about what uh, minorities and women are dealing with on a day to day basis, you know, um, following up on the caller here is he obviously understands, but if, if it's, you're talking about someone who doesn't have a concept of this, just, just ask a minority or a woman who's running a business. Um, every day, we are faced with challenges that white males do not have to deal with. Um, I, couldn't, uh, I couldn't tell you how many times I've experienced sexual harassment, sexual assault, um, how many times I've been denied access to business opportunities because I wasn't interested in a romantic relationship with the white male running the business. Uh, these are things that white males don't have, don't encounter, right? When they walk in and, and they're excited to do a business deal, these are things that women still have to encounter on a daily basis. Um, and for minorities, you know, those challenges exist as well in different capacities, whether it's overlooking uh, someone for an opportunity because their name looks different or whether it's ignoring someone for an opportunity or not giving them that opportunity because you can't maybe relate to them or they're different from you. Um, everyone has those implicit and unconscious biases, and not all of them are malicious, right? Not all of them are malicious. But unfortunately, it does still exist. It is still much more prominent than I think most people would like to admit. I think we would all like to believe that we were in a better place when it comes to racism and sexism. Um, unfortunately, I think a lot of it now has just gotten more, um, it's a little bit more uh, uh, not so direct, right? It's more indirect nowadays. Um, so these programs have to exist so that um, we can give minorities and women equal opportunities because, unfortunately, they just continue to face challenges that white male-owned businesses just do not face. I've got a couple of emails that I want to direct to Matthew, Ely, Mario on a couple of different subjects here. Um, this emailer is asking that we withhold the name. Uh, he says he's still working, but said, um, Evan, the last two companies I worked for were, quote, women-owned in name only. Both owners were old white guys who put the business in their wives' name to win bids. And then he describes other situations where he sees front companies are using the name of a, a disabled veteran to win a bid. He says some of this is phony window dressing and it can be manipulated. So 
Matthew, yeah. what do you think? Oh, I'd love to take that. Um, I would say in the early days of these programs, back when New York State started theirs, they had issues like that. But I will tell you, and we developed our program based with my firsthand knowledge of these these things that they try and pull. We don't allow that. The vetting process now, you know, for example, I my former job was with the Procurement Technical Assistance Center, a group at Monroe County that helps small businesses navigate government contracting. We would help do the New York State certification with clients. We had several clients that were woman-owned for years. One was a part of the initial cohort. Because New York State looked at the way their business was formed and how it was run, they lost their certification because they're taking a different look at, especially when you have um, male and female joint ownership, especially husband and wife teams, they look at that. No more can the woman owner or minority owner simply be in the background and they do the payroll, the HR. They have to have business knowledge. The vetting has really changed. And it really has. Yeah. It really, really has. Um, I have companies that I have not certified because I didn't believe they were minority or woman owned. So we just, we pass on that, say, this is what we're seeing here. There's a waiver and appeal process, um, but we're actually looking for that. It's not simply just a hand-waving, hey, you know, I says I'm woman-owned. Um, they have to have knowledge of the industry they're in. You know, in a lot of cases, we want to see that they're on-site doing the work or have done that. You know, so it's not simply woman has 51%, we're going to give them certification. And that's changing across all programs, whether it be local, state, and federal. You know, so I can't go back in the past and take care of that, but I can tell you now there is a new, renewed emphasis because one thing people don't realize about a program like New York State, it's only valid for five years. It's uh, Law 15A sunsets every five years. There are a lot of detractors. So they've had to develop that program where they've taken and learned from these vet experiences as far as how are we looking at these firms? Are they really woman-owned as they progress that program? So we were able to take that as a best practice and start that from the beginning of our program here in Monroe County. So I, if they're on our list, they've been vetted. I've looked at them. I've talked to them. You know, In some cases, I've gone out to their place of business and had the woman or the minority walk me around and explain the business to me You know, so I can be convinced that they are who they, what they say they are. I'm kind of resisting the cynicism that says it's a bummer that you even have to do that, Matthew. But <laughs> well, I mean, it, but but again, like the New York State program and other programs, f when we put companies on our list, yeah, we want people to know that they're legitimate, that we've done our due diligence yeah. with them, so that they can be, you know, rest assured that they are who they say who they are. Eli, do you want to add to that? What do you think? Uh, yes, I would. We, from a University of Rochester's uh, point uh, standpoint, we accept the federal um, state as well as uh, the um, Monroe County certifications. We will depend on these agencies to do the due diligence. However, uh, you are just selected a vendor, third party uh, supplier to manage our MWBE spend as well as one important task that they have is to validate the certifications, make sure they get the certification from the federals and even the third parties that we accept, two organizations, one is New York, New Jersey Minority Business Council, the other one is Women's Organization. These two are the largest and the second largest respectively in the nation. So we want to make sure that the supply MWBEs, in the end, we're going to reward for the business indeed are the MWBEs and have valid certification from reputable organizations like um, uh, Monroe uh, County. What what we rely on is because we can't do uh, validation ourselves. We don't have that resources. And uh, so we will depend on uh, the other parties to do the di uh, due diligence. Our, uh, from a university point of view is we will have to make sure their certifications are valid. Okay, Mario, what do you think? Um, I'm with uh, I'm with Eli. I and I, I'm actually thinking about the cynicism that you brought up. It's something that um, I've always thought about as well. But in regards to, it stinks that um, MWBs have to go through an extra step that uh, white male-owned businesses would not even have to go through, and I think that's an extra barrier that we're placing as well. But in the long run, there's not much else we can do about it. And so um, just putting all that on the table, I think that it's crucially important to give folks access to becoming certified. So that's something that, again, uh, 
that we need to start looking at it more broadly. And I'm really thankful that Matthew has been an amazing partner in all of this and being able to hats off to him for all the work that he's done with the program that uh, Monroe County has. Uh, Colleen emails to say, um, great conversation. This is making me rethink some of our own business practices. We have thought that we have been on the progressive side of things by saying that we will work with anyone who is qualified. Doesn't matter their background. And we have tried to adopt a colorblind approach. But I'm thinking that maybe this has to change based on some of what we're hearing this hour. So, okay. Um, let's, Mario, I'll start with you. Let's go around the table here. What would you say to Colleen? I think that that is great that she can uh, self-reflect on that because I think that's the first step, right? We have to admit there's a problem before we can actually start remedying it. Um, but a lot of it has to be, um, you know, there's always best practices. And uh, one of the things that we we unfortunately don't have is a best practice manual for for these kinds of programs and what we can do. Uh, if, if something worked, I think Matthew and all of us would probably be out of, bu- uh, out of business, right? And that's what we want to get to. So um, being proactive, um, knowing that there is legwork behind this and uh, understanding that, that this is crucial. I think um, when hearing all the emails that have come through about the detractions, I th- if you're comfortable with where we're at, just look around the situation. I, I think that look, if you're okay with it, I think that we have to look at it in a broader scope that we, we are in an, this is an ecosystem. It's not just one and done, right? Mm-hmm. Although we like to think about, look, um, when we're talking about nine, the 1% that Stephanie mentioned that um, MWBE usage would help out, that's a drop in the bucket for um, a white male owned business. But for a smaller MWBE, that is a huge gain. And for us to be feeding this ecosystem and to really realize, um, I say this it should be, the, when there's diversity, equity, inclusion, this should be the fourth leg of the stool, right? Economic equity, economic parity. That, that is something that we should all be striving for. Elia, what would you say to Colleen who said, we've been trying to engage in colorblind decision-making, hiring, contracting, and they thought that was a, a fair and good practice, and now she's wondering if she should make a change. Well, I would agree with what Mario just said. I think each situation is different. Each case is different, right? And uh, so we all work towards a goal, is to support the family, support the, the um, uh, uh, community, support um the MWB uh, initiative, if, um, like Mario pointed out, it depends on the objectives, right? If, let's say, some MWB feel, hey, I we are working with you know an organization, we are very happy with all the process we're going through. We feel that we achieve what we achieve. That's great. And the other MWB is what we've heard. So you know, uh, the uh, the couple of callers calling, they address different kind of uh, issues, concerns, and which is normal. And so for those who are happy with where they are, that's great. We continue on, and hopefully they can share their success with uh, the rest of the MWBs. But for those who think they are huge room uh, to improve, they are continuous, you know, the struggles and the challenges. This is what we are continue going, to, uh, we continue kind of work on. How we kind of uh, open the opportunities for them and looking at the root cause of the problem, like Kobe said, ask why, 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 right? And then uh, find the solutions to address all their concerns. Uh, Matthew, what would you say to Colleen? Well, I would say, first of all, I commend them for actually having a policy. Uh, one of the most impor- important things for me is not just from the county level, but from all perspectives, is that the more agencies and institutions and corporations that have a policy that are getting and geared towards supplier diversity to better, it's going to be the pinnacle. The, Monroe, the county, the city, the state can only do so much. You know, it's only X amount of dollars that go to in this ecosystem. But if, you know, the universities in the area, the hospitals, if they all had this pledge and commitment, you know, towards that supplier diversity, um, it's going to make these efforts work that much faster. And then you're going to have a pool, by the way, from the government programs in these certified firms that you can go and draw from directly. You know, um, but I commend them for having a program. I'm not sure what's best for their program. I would say that um, 
the county's taking the standpoint that we are going to make certain there are opportunities for certain social demographics uh, because it's important because there's been disparity studies that tell us this is important to make sure that these people group of peoples have an opportunity to compete on government contracts if that's good for Kylene's company, I don't know. Um, but I would say from a, the county perspective, mm-hmm. that's going to be really important to us. All right, about a minute left. So 30 seconds apiece. Final thoughts you want to leave with the audience. Nikofi McClary, what do you want to leave with the audience here? I appreciate her um, courage. I, I want to leave with this. Um, the University of Rochester, they're setting the standard. You know, all of their projects that they're, they're planning on uh, building, they're requiring workforce development, diversity, um, this is their vision. So I, I want to praise and applaud them for the great work that they do in our community, one, being one of the largest employers. Um, but they're, they're setting the standard for everybody. You have to have those components when you're trying to do something as far as building. And 30 seconds, Stephanie Armstrong, final thoughts. Just want to um, thank WXXI for creating a platform for this conversation. Um, it is a difficult conversation, but it's one that must be had. Uh, For the companies, organizations, corporations, businesses that are listening, it doesn't take a lot to make a huge impact in this arena. So I encourage you to be proactive. If you need help, reach out. I'm happy to provide any guidance that I can. Uh, Our community deserves economic health. Our community deserves economic equity, and we can do it together. And Stephanie is the founding and managing partner at All Pro Marketing. Stephanie, thanks for making time for the program. Thank you for having us. Matthew Burrell at Monroe County, if if companies want to get in touch with you about certification, et cetera, how do they do that? Absolutely. You can call 585-753-2409, or you can email nwbe at monroecounty.gov. Thank you for being here. Thank you. Uh, From the University of Rochester, Ely Vandenberg, Mario Roque, thanks for sharing your experiences this hour. Thank you. Thank you very much. And Nikofi McClary, Vice President of Upstate Interiors, thank you for being here. Thank you for having us. From the whole team at Connections, it's Evan Dawson, Megan Mack, Julie Williams, Rob Braden saying thanks for listening. We're back with you tomorrow on Member Supported Public Radio.